Welcome to Sustainability Leaders. I'm Michael Torrance, Chief Sustainability Officer with BMO Financial Group. On this show, we will talk with leading sustainability practitioners from the corporate, investor, academic, and NGO communities to explore how this rapidly evolving field of sustainability is impacting global investment, business practices, and our world. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of Bank of Montreal, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Today's episode is part one of a two-part series from a recent BMO real estate forum around building a sustainable future, hosted by Mike Begg, BMO Senior Vice President and Head Real Estate Finance, and moderated by Carla McCarthy, Head Income Property Finance for BMO Commercial Bank Canada. Listen to what Jim Ritchie, President and CEO of Delterra and President of Tridel, and Graham Armster, Director, Innovation and Sustainability of Tridel, had to say around their sustainability strategy and more. Greetings, everyone. I'm Mike Begg, SVP and Head of BMO's Commercial Bank Canada Real Estate Finance Team. Thank you all for joining us today. We are excited to be joined by industry leaders who are actively involved in Canadian commercial real estate and have perspective on key sustainability topics and the outlook for what's ahead. We'll start with Jim Ritchie and Graham Armster from Tridel Group, one of the first and largest high-rise condo builders in North America. Well, thank you, Mike. Just a moment uh, to talk about uh, Tridel. We've been around uh, Roots Quebec uh, 89 years. Uh, we've developed about 89,000 homes, closing in on that 90,000 mark. Um, all a variety of different uh, forms. And I'm also proud to say in terms of our discussion today, about 24,000 uh, green uh, condominium homes. <laughs> we are one of the largest developers and builders of sustainable condominium residences. I'm going to pass this over to my colleague, Graham. Hey, everyone. Um, so Jim gave us a good snapshot of, uh, you know, where Tridel started on this sustainability journey. And obviously, um, it continues. Um, so this is a, a you know a good time to maybe talk about where we're heading in the future and some of the uh, things we're looking at. So uh, you know it all starts with some of the the key concerns that uh, are on our radar today: physical consequences, uh, managing the physical consequences of climate change, uh, managing this uh, transition to a lower carbon economy, uh, all while continuing to improve on uh, community well-being. I'll turn it over to Carla now and. Thanks very much, Jim and Graham. So Tridel has had a proactive innovation and sustainability strategy for over 20 years. Jim, what advice would you give to others looking to drive better sustainability outcomes in their own businesses? And do you think it's a case of trade-offs or synergies between sustainability and the economics of the business? I would say on this journey, you need alignment with leadership and you need it from, uh, from the very, very top. Uh, to be supportive because there's a, a lot of bumps in the road uh, to get to the outcome that you're looking for. And to your point about, uh, you know, trade-offs, the fact is that in our industry and certainly in the greater Toronto area, you know, our cost of construction has seen over the last couple of years, uh, double digit increases. We've had uh, obviously those cost pressures. We've had a uh, scope changes in the product that, uh, that we bring uh, to market and, as much as uh, I think we all will agree that there's a crisis today in affordability with housing, this is something that 
uh, in the near term in terms of the the capital cost side, we 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 have to try and manage that cost side mm-hmm. and get a solution uh, that that works on the on the overall outcome. I think it can be done, uh, but it's it's not an easy path. Great. Thanks very much, Jim. Mike, perhaps you can talk about what role we can expect banks to play and what will the bank's needs be given that banks will also be working towards their own carbon reduction strategies and also an evolving regulatory environment. Thanks, Carla. I think banks can and should do a number of things. Uh, The first of these is lead by example. For instance, BMO's been carbon neutral in our own operations since 2010. And in 2021, we set a target to mobilize $300 billion in capital to clients pursuing sustainable outcomes by 2025. A target we're close to meeting one or two years ahead of schedule. Looking further forward, we've set a target for net zero financed emissions by 2050. The second of these, I think, is, is to look at how we price climate risk into our underwriting. Climate risk incorporates both transition risk Uh, which is the risk that a business's model will become obsolete because of the transition to net zero, and physical risk, which is the risk that changing climate and extreme weather will actually threaten a business's operations, for example, through rising sea levels. Both of these will increasingly have a material impact on borrower risk profile, uh, asset risk profile, and the cost of capital to finance assets with climate risk. This will increasingly provide powerful economic return optimizing incentives to businesses to adopt climate strategies, certainly carrot versus stick. Uh, The final thing I'd like to mention is that banks will need to be bold in innovating in terms of the products and services that they offer. Banks have powerful attributes that can help accelerate the net zero transition. Uh, Those include deep databases, a deep client and customer relationship portfolio, as well as uh, partnerships with government, regulators, and other corporates. So while, we, while we'll be able to remain focused on being responsible stewards of Canada's financial services, banks can and must be ambitious in contributing to ecosystems where real change can happen. Back to you, Carl. Great. Thanks very much, Mike. It's uh, clear that everyone has a role to play in terms of sustainability. Graham, can you perhaps touch on the concept of timing of decarbonization, so based on the age of a building and how to think about potential retrofit strategies? Yeah, so uh, thank you, Carla. It's a great question. Um, so Tridel uh, is, you know, in terms of uh, the, the, the space that we work in, um, that question has a couple different answers. So we do have a, a long-term uh, asset uh, uh, ownership uh part of our business um, in, in long-term care facilities. Um, and uh, so from that scenario, we can answer the question looking at it from that angle, but then as well, we build new condos. Um, and often, uh, you know, I guess if I approach it from the new condo side first, um, you know, in the past uh, when we built our uh, buildings, um, uh you know, there was a focus on delivering a product that was a high quality product to our customers um, that was built to last. Um, and we still continue to take that approach. Um, and the products that we put in our buildings, you know, were good quality products uh, that, you know, had a good life cycle to them. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, they would need replacement. 
Um, and that, you know, in a condo would be budgeted for uh, in the form of a reserve fund. Now that's changed slightly, uh, given, you know, what Brent said uh, in terms of regulatory changes, um, people targeting to be net zero by certain dates. And if you look at the, you know, life cycle of a typical uh, component in a building, you know, if it's an HVAC piece of equipment, maybe it's anywhere from 15 to 20 years. And right now, if that piece of equipment burns gas, uh, from a new construction standpoint, we're right on the cusp of, you know, especially in Toronto, if your target's 2040, we're right on the cusp of, uh, you know, having to consider uh, either a, you know, low carbon solution now, or if you put the carbon solution, in, uh, the, the carbon solution in that burn that creates carbon and puts that into the atmosphere, then uh, to Brent's point, you could be at risk later on of devaluation of your property, potentially a brown discount. And that's something you've got to consider now when, you know, right at the new construction stage. So life cycle was always thought about before, only from a cost perspective. Now carbon is coming into the picture there. Um, if you have an existing property like we have uh, with, with some of our existing assets, the next thing is, okay, well now how do we decarbonize what we already have? Um, and really the best approach there is to map out, um, you know, through a building assessment, uh, you know, the life of the, the life cycle of all of the components in your building and really start to develop a solution that, uh, you know, um, and, and an action plan that's communicated to uh, the operations team that's following through with it um, so that they know that, you know, when something uh, reaches end of life, uh, you replace it with a low carbon solution so that you're setting yourself up for the future because you don't want to be in a position where you're retiring a piece of equipment uh, well before its end of useful life. Um, it's not good for the bottom line uh, and, and the economics, but it's also not good for the environment. Obviously, there's this new topic of embodied carbon coming out. And if you look at the carbon that went into manufacturing that piece of equipment or component in your building and you retire it early, you're doing harm to the environment as well from that perspective. So you got to think of all these things when you're coming up with you know, your capital replacement strategy um, right from the get-go. Um, it's now money and carbon. And then obviously, if you have an operating building, money and carbon come into play. Thanks, Carla. Great. Thanks very much, Graham. Um, that's a great insight in terms of thinking about your buildings and where you can opportunistically invest based on, on the life cycle. Jim, as we look at new construction, does the market place a premium on environmental performance and energy efficiency? Do buyers primarily value reduced utility expenditures or is the social capital of being green recognized? I think today's astute consumer already believes that there is a sustainability value proposition embedded in this product already. It just seems to be natural to them that in, the, in an environment today, uh, in the world in which we live in, I think no matter what type of product you're looking at, um, we, we have to be cognizant of that. But I can tell you that a, a, a building that uh, adheres to great sustainability building practices is it's built better. Uh, the, the, the home itself is quieter. It's healthier. Uh, it's more comfortable. And yes, it does uh, consume uh, less, less energy. So there, there is a value to that in terms of, of the operating cost. I don't think the consumer understands that to the extent that they should at the point of sale. This is something that becomes somewhat more relevant uh, when they live in the home and they actually 
experience the, the home with these uh, green features together with um, a lower operating cost. So it seems to be more re relevant uh, at the end of the, of the process instead, instead of the front end. Perhaps, Graham, I'll just stay with you for a moment while, while we're on the topic of construction. So emissions from building operations aren't the only dimension to sustainability in real estate. There's also the waste generated in construction and the emissions embedded in building materials like concrete and steel rebar. Do you have any advice for other builders out there around minimizing waste and the associated expense due to that waste on the construction site? Right off the hop, to your point, um, you know, we're looking at emissions now and, and waste generated through emissions. So often, uh, you know, the thought was if we design a building to be very, very energy efficient, um, it will use less energy and subsequently generate less emissions. Um, what was often overlooked in that approach, though, is the amount of emissions that went into the materials, you know, whether it's insulation or other components to that effect, triple glazing. Um, those uh, added materials that went onto that building to reduce energy consumption, um, you know, had manufacturing uh, or embodied carbon emissions associated with them. So um, it, we can't approach building construction focusing just on one aspect uh, and expect to resolve the problem. So, uh, you know, the discussion is, is growing and the viewpoint on the emissions generated in the construction industry are growing more and more rapidly. One other thing to consider um, from a resiliency uh, aspect, we don't want to finish this beautiful building um, and then all of a sudden have an extreme weather event as a result of climate change come in and knock this building out. And next thing you know, we're starting from scratch again. And, you know, all of the emissions that went into building that building are doubled because we got to replace it and do it over again. So that's another component. And then even during the construction process, there are tools now um, that can be utilized to minimize, minimize risk and, and waste from that perspective. Thanks very much, Graham. And that is all the time we have today with our panel. Thanks for all the great insights on this important topic. And I'm going to pass it back over to Mike. Thank you very much, Carla. It's still very early days in ESG and the evolution between banks and their clients. But if nothing else, we hope that today's speakers may have helped inspire you to have an ESG strategy if you don't, or further build on the one you have. On behalf of BMO, we want you to know we're thinking of you, your families, and your organizations. Thanks for listening to Sustainability Leaders. This podcast is presented by BMO Financial Group. To access all the resources we discussed in today's episode and to see our other podcasts, visit us at bmo.com forward slash sustainability leaders. You can listen and subscribe free to our show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider, and we'll greatly appreciate a rating and review and any feedback that you might have. Our show and resources are produced with support from BMO's marketing team and Puddle Creative. Until next time, I'm Michael Torrance. Have a great week.
The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of Bank of Montreal, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. This is not intended to serve as a complete analysis of every material fact regarding any company, industry, strategy, or security. This presentation may contain forward-looking statements. Investors are cautioned not to place undue reliance on such statements as actual results could vary. This presentation is for general information purposes only and does not constitute investment, legal, or tax advice, and is not intended as an endorsement of any specific investment product or service. Individual investors should consult with an investment, tax, and or legal professional about their personal situation. Past performance is not indicative of future results.